Every now and then, I have this anxiety dream. I'm in a dark place. There's a faceless person about to physically attack me. I try to strike my attacker in some way. The terror of being assaulted mounts and the adrenaline spikes in my body, providing the rocket fuel for what feels like a hysterical and erratic defense. I throw a punch at his face or a hoof to the groin. With an amazing burst of power, I use all my might, but I can't connect. Somehow, mid-swing, all the power leaves my body and I can't land the blow. I remain weak and limp, useless and terror-stricken in the face of grave danger. Then my eyes snap open and I'm awake. This next interview took place on May 15th. During the time it took me to edit the recording, our world was rocked yet again by the senseless murder of a black man in the name of law enforcement. I'm heartbroken and outraged by George Floyd's murder. My heart and voice join with our communities of color and our allies to protest this epidemic of unchecked police violence. The streets across the country continue to convulse with demonstrations and protests to demand justice for George Floyd now and revamping of our criminal justice system moving forward to put a stop to these senseless acts of violence against our black people. With COVID as the backdrop, a blinding spotlight is shining on the systemic racism that affects every area of our society. Mentally, I've been walking around in circles with a despair I've been hard-pressed to describe. I realized this morning that my emotional state is very much like my recurring nightmare. I'm filled with the energy of rage and fear. I want to do something to have great impact, but I feel ineffective. Then my eyes snap open and I am awake. I started this podcast project at the end of 2018 as both an evangelist and disciple of diversity, equity, and inclusion. My mission is to spark productive dialogue around these complex topics so people can grow, learn, and develop empathy along with me. In order to combat systemic racism, these difficult conversations need to be approached by more people in every corner of our society. Dialogue at the grassroots level is an important tool in the fight against discrimination on all counts. The work is daunting and at times like this overwhelming. But I'm reminded by my very own podcast guests that everybody has an important part to play. Whether it's their title or not, my guests are diversity, equity, and inclusion pioneers working on their corners of the world. They are authors, teachers, researchers, economic development specialists, advocates, consultants, HR professionals, policy analysts, and wellness coaches. No one is alone in this shared work to create a more equitable society, to fight racism, to proactively promote inclusion. They teach and inspire me. My hope is that they teach and inspire you. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce my next guest, Judith Katz. Judith is the Executive Vice President of the Khalil Jamison Consulting Group. The group specializes in long-term strategic culture alignment by assisting organizations in creating inclusive, collaborative workplaces that unleash the talent and creativity of their people. Fueled by her passion for addressing systemic barriers, known for her boundless energy and sharp analytic mind, Judith has distinguished herself as a thought leader, practitioner, educator, and strategist for more than 40 years. She has created new paradigms in organization development and pioneered cutting-edge approaches to white awareness, inclusion, the leveraging of differences, covert processes, and strategic change. Judith has co-authored three books with her business partner, Fred Miller, including the recently released Safe Enough to Soar, 
Accelerating Trust, Inclusion, and Collaboration in the Workplace. Judith joins me today to talk about how our places of work can fortify inclusion efforts during the pandemic. Judith, good morning and welcome to Generator. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Jennifer. I'm so glad to be a part of this today. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on my show. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the Khalil Jameson Group? Oh, absolutely. So I've actually been a member of Khalil Jameson Consulting Group for since 1985, but the firm was started by ni- in 1970 by a woman whose name was Khalil Jameson. She was actually one of the first women in organization development to start a firm. I mean, there were several others, pioneers at the time. And I, I think we were like the oldest organization development and culture change firm that's still in existence continuously. Um, and what we do is really work with organizations to change their culture and to create more inclusive environments where people can really bring their differences. So we've been kind of involved in the culture change business now for over 50 years. So you are pioneers we have been and we still are. I could consider us in many ways. You know, and Khalil really began to look at issues around inequities, um, even at that time, which, yeah. you know, obviously was the civil rights movement. And um, she began to say, how do we bring this into organizations? I mean, the, there's a great story. I'll just um, kind of, one of the things Khalil was doing workshops on racism and sexism in her church group. She lived in Cincinnati at the time. And somebody in her church group said, would you come and do that in my company? And he was a Procter and Gamble. And so, like many mom-and-pop organizations, right, that's kind of how she started building her business. That's impressive. That's so forward-thinking. Like you said, especially at that time, there was a lot fomenting then, but to actually put walls around it and be able to organize it and and move it forward is really impressive. She died in 1985 of breast cancer, and I always think about the fact that if she had been born today, you know, she probably would have survived that. Um, But her business partner at the time, Fred Miller, took on, the, kept the firm, kept her name because he really wanted to honor her mm-hmm. and um, basically invi- invited me to join him at that time. So even the two principals of the firm mm-hmm. since 1985. And I'm sure you've seen so many changes over that time period. At, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting about cycles of change because in many ways we've seen tremendous change. I mean, there's no question. We've also seen similar cycles of things, you know, in terms of this work. So there are times where it's been much more in the forefront and then it's kind of received. And I think we're in a moment, a very pivotal moment in our society at this moment as well. So, you know, so it's been like there are certain elements of oppression that continue to plague our society, inequality that's still there, you know, women and men's salaries. I mean, there's many places what's happening on people of color mm-hmm. that we can see. And we've made strides, but, you know, it's kind of like we have a long way to go and we've made a lot of progress. And both are true yes. at the same time. I've seen so many movements forward in the inclusion space, but then something like this pandemic happens and I get very worried that this is going to set us back in a significant way. I feel like we're living and working through this global crisis, and during such extreme times of stress, we know that people tend to regress, and fear is a powerful motivator and can drive decision-making, 
biases bubble up to the surface. Scarcity breeds tribalism. It's all those things that feed inequity and uh, discrimination and segregation. Without aggressive mindfulness, we as a society run the risk of taking some big step backwards in our inclusion work. I wonder, as you, you're in it every day on the front lines, what you're seeing and what you're hearing from your colleagues and clients. I mean, I think you're, the concerns you raise are right on. Um, I, th- I think there's two things. One is, clearly, I think people are so much in task mode right now and the immediacy of the pandemic that for those organizations that have continued having downsized, having furloughed, they're not paying much attention to this, although there are a few clients that I would say are, mm-hmm. and they're, the, they're unique. They're not the norm. And then you've got the reality of layoffs, downsizing, furloughs, you know, shift in industries. And so the concern is who, who gets fired. And then we know, thirdly, that there's an adverse impact on people of color, particularly black and brown people, mm-hmm. in terms of who's on the front lines, mm-hmm. if you will, and who's getting sick the most and who's getting in health care issues, et cetera. So I think there's, you know, there, there was some interesting data when they talked about the 2008 recession and how people of color were just getting out of that 10 years later or 12 years later, and now how this potential for setback is huge. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that unless, to your point, organizations are really conscious, really keeping inclusion and diversity on the table, there's a huge amount of potential for us to go back. And then you see, you know, in terms of civil society, you know, who's getting blamed, right? What's happening around racism, around Asians, mm-hmm. and the number of incidents that have increased in our society overall. African-Americans wearing masks and being concerned that they're like robbers, you know, all those biases that we have and, mm-hmm. and all the ways in which racism wears, rears its head. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it really takes a conscious effort Mm-hmm. and extra effort now, which is very challenging when most people are on kind of like Maslow's survival hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. in terms of just focusing on what's in front of your face, mm-hmm. not thinking about the culture. Mm-hmm. And how are your clients who are completely dedicated to inclusion, how are they creating that psychological safety for their employees during this stressful time? So that's what keeps gives me hope. <laughs> you know, I think in many ways, the good news is organizations are in this incredible moment of unfreezing. Mm-hmm. And some of the issues that we're seeing in terms of needing to change have been there. You know, they haven't, they haven't just popped up. But I think the organizations that are saying we need to really take this moment and use it. So there, for example... One of the things that they can do is talk about inclusion and why it's important, particularly now. Mm-hmm. Understand the different disparate impacts that this pandemic is having on different populations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting how, in some ways, our notion around who's essential has been flipped. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our clients, which is a manufacturing organization, which is in the process of manufacturing the food service organization, the people on the front lines are essential. And the people who've been, you know, white-collar workers are working remotely are not essential. Mm-hmm. And so there, they're really having to pay attention to bonusing people, um, rethinking kind of what does it mean for those workers who are on the factory line to come in every day. So in many ways, and then 
that the population is mostly pe- more people of color than it is whites. And therefore, you know, the question about people at risk, do we have PPE? Are we protecting people? Or, we, you know, you saw what's happening, for example, at some of the food meatpacking industry. Yes. You know, where people are just thrown onto the front lines and getting the disease at a higher rate. Our clients are really looking at those issues in terms of safety. And I think it's, it's, it's not even my... You know, psychological safety, but it's really the bottom line is physical safety first. And, you know, will I be healthy? Will I come home to my family? Will I infect somebody else? So I think it's been an interesting thing about how the organizations are saying, this is critical to us. And even in their message about safety, talking about inclusion, creating a space for people to talk about the impacts of this work, Mm -hmm. the the impacts of the pandemic on them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much, I feel like, has been torn down by this pandemic that it gives us some opportunity to rethink systems and operations and rebuild in a way that is more inclusive. One of the things I was thinking about and talking with some folks about was the just the whole idea of working from home and flexible schedules in a lot of companies that was uh, not preferred or not tested. And I think there was a lot of misgivings about what you could actually get done if you were working from home. And they're finding that people can be very productive working from home and perhaps moving forward, families that have child care responsibilities might, there might be a little more grace given and uh, uh, innovation and in their thinking to support working from home and flex schedules more robustly than in the past. I mean, what's, what's interesting about all this is, you know, younger generations have always been wanting flex work remote working. I mean, that's been a part of a younger generation, you know, being able to work anywhere, anytime, remote hours, etc. So in some ways, this pandemic is making us catch up Mm -hmm. with what has already been in place, Mm -hmm. or already been spoken about. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think about, you talk about inclusion and what we can do, for many managers, this is an incredible test of their capabilities and competencies. Mm -hmm. Can they manage people remotely? Do they feel comfortable? Can they build trust? Mm-hmm. You know, all of those mechanisms about what had been face-to-face. Now, some are going in the direction that I would say, which is backwards, which some of the new surveillance apps that are being put in place. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some things where now some companies are developing apps to see how many keystrokes, how long have you been at your computer, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um and on the other hand, you've got managers who, and I was on a call the other day with some um, other change agents, they were talking about managers who were creating spaces for people to have virtual happy hours or a space where we can just meet and not be talking about work, kind of having a water cooler. So I think we're seeing a range of responses from managers and leaders mm-hmm. and their own comfort or discomfort with this new normal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to be getting to your point. I mean, I've also read articles about how many organizations now are rethinking, do we need office space? Yes. And one company that I know of, for example, has decided that they, they work in New York. For 18 months, they are basically not leasing space in New York City because they think it's too risky. So everybody's going to work remotely. Huh. So a huge shift where before managers, leaders couldn't even think about 
a work a full workforce working remotely. Now they may bring people together on occasion in different mm-hmm. kind of ways and maybe use some temporary space for that. But mm-hmm. they're thinking, do we need to have the cost of this footprint and all the other costs that get incurred with that when we've learned now that we can work effectively remotely? Yes. yes. And remote work, we know, doesn't take the place of some of the spaces that we need for just conversation and creativity and innovation, which are really critical. Yeah. Um, but I think that what we're finding is, I think, on the other side of this, some of what we had thought was impossible is absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also going to say there's a new criteria for what does it mean to be a manager. Yes. And just like we've said, there's a new criteria about leading and managing a diverse workforce. Yes. And the ability to attract, retain, you know, coach, support, develop a diverse workforce. I think this is going to be a new element of the criteria as well. It's interesting because so many managers have their actual own workload to do, and then they have to manage their team. So they almost are doing two jobs at the same time. And because of all those things you just said, I think that managers will actually more and more become managers of people rather than having to manage and do a specific job. (laughs) I mean, managing people is a full-time job. And when you've got all these complexities uh, to get the best out of your teams and be mindful of their needs and their safety, I think that you'll see more managers rising up as leaders rather than having to do multiple jobs. Well, I think part of what, you know, what you point to is we really made Many managers are just individual contributors with a slapped on managerial responsibility yes, on top right, of that. Right. And really what we haven't really done in most organizations is really think about the leadership role that they need to have. And I think what are the and, and the capabilities. So, you know, in some of our clients what's been exciting is to really look at how they've changed it's not just getting results, but it's how you get results. Mm-hmm. The criteria for what is performance. You know, it's it's not just about being able to get your tasks done. It's really about inspiring people. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's tracking and looking at who are the people that they've developed, what were the kinds of, who are they hiring, how are they developing those people, and are they can really able to attract and develop a diverse workforce. Mm-hmm. I think those are the individuals who will succeed mm-hmm. and not just the doers. Um, and I think, you know, I think right now in the pandemic, there's been so much focused on doing I don't know how much people have really created the space for us to talk about the impact of this. How are people feeling? You know, what's the loss that they have? How many people are working? One, one of, I sent out a thing to the people in my firm with the questions that you had raised to talk about today. And one person suggested, you know, maybe we need, just like we have ERGs, maybe we need Slack channels for people to talk about home alone. Yes. You know, um, yeah. home with kids, um, all of the kind of challenges that people are facing right now so that there is an outlet for people to be able to talk about the things that are really on their mind um, as we're going through this pandemic and not just I'm just not a worker. You know, I'm not just a human device. Yes. And I think the humanness of the workforce has got to be a part of what's going on right now. Yes. It's the isolation that is getting to a lot of people. And I was talking to a a woman who's in a work situation where everybody's working remotely and the boss isn't 
creating a space for them to convene just to just to talk you know not there's no virtual lunch or coffee there's nothing your mind starts to make up its own stories about what your value is and what your place is in the organization and what's expected of you and it's crazy making i feel badly for her and when you talk about trying to be collaborative and integrating your people this is a time where you absolutely have to try that much harder to bring people in or they start to feel marginalized and maybe they are being marginalized that's a real danger in this in this virtual world judith how are managers pulling people in zoom is difficult uh, mm-hmm. skype you know there's a lot of technical difficulties and there which can lend itself to sidebar conversations that other people aren't privy to which means maybe projects are being distributed unevenly what are some good guidelines to pull people together and make sure people feel included and uh, you're running the same way as far as project distribution and collaboration well, that's a that's a lot in that question. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I, I, I tend to do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, let me start first. Um, I mean, I think you know, Zoom is only a tool, and there are ways you can use it that are helpful and not. I think using breakouts and whiteboards and all those tools that they have, I think, helps because yeah. if it's only one person talking and one way, it doesn't work. Yeah. One of the things we do every morning is we have a ten o'clock check-in mm-hmm. for the firm for the team. And we ask people to identify how are they as a person on earth and a number from one to 10. So, you know, not just how am I as a worker, but kind of like, you know, all the things. Am I sleeping? Am I not sleeping? Are the kids driving me crazy or, you know, whatever it may be. So we do that check-in every morning. And we also talk about what our projects may be for the day, et cetera, who we might need help with. But I think creating spaces that are not just task-focused, even if it's a 10-minute check-in, which is Ours is usually about 15 minutes. For people to talk is important. Mm -hmm. And I think the other question is that we have to be asking is, who else needs to be included in this conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not just going to the usual suspects. But this is, you know, because we can get people, I mean, there easily with a Zoom call or whatever that might not have been there, what an opportunity to expand the diversity of voices that Mm -hmm. we bring into a conversation. Mm -hmm. But again, it comes back to being intentional you know, creating virtual happy hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we just did one last night. Mm-hmm. And, and the you know, the rule is no talking about work, just, you know, how are people kind of chatting mm-hmm. like you would. And everybody brought a drink and we had a chance to spend an hour together that wasn't just the work focused. Nice. And, you know, I think we need laughter and we need some time to just talk about, you know, the coffee maker we bought or <laughs> yeah. whatever it may be, Right. right. So I think I think being intentional is about all of this, which is what you need for culture. And I think the manager, I think you raised this before, needs to find space and time just to check in with people. Yeah. And that's a one-on-one conversation. I mean, that is where the manager's job is engaging people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, I see Fred, my business partner, we're on the, online in terms of the firm and, you know, what we're doing with everybody else. But I need that one-on-one time with him. Mm-hmm. When we can just talk about everything from, you know, how his guppies are doing <laughs> to grand 
fun, you know, to what's going on in my life to yes. the client projects that we're working on. But we need that full range of that. Yes. But I do think it's really to see this as an opportunity about those voices that we don't usually invite. Yes. That we need to have. The other thing I think that's really important, whether it's now or whether it's, you know, kind of as people slowly go back to work in the workplace, and we know that some people will be remote and some people will be on site, is to really engage the team about how do we need to work mm-hmm. and to do a check-in and say, is this working for us? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we have an opportunity to co-create that. Mm-hmm. And I think being, again, intentional about not just meeting about that project we're working on, but how are we doing with all of that, what's going on? And what are the new norms? One of the things we did with our team is saying, okay, we don't know when we're going to open up, but when we do, what do people need to feel safe? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that you're going to need to feel okay to walk back into that workplace? And started coming up with things. Now, you know, Fred and I could have thought about that as leaders, but I think their having a voice makes them also feel safer. Yes, it gives them agency. They, they feel feeling like they've got some kind of power in an environment where in so many areas we feel powerless. Absolutely. I mean, I would say loss of control is such a major part. We don't control our environment. We don't know where the, the virus is. We don't know, you know, where it's safe, where it's not safe. So having that agency is absolutely critical. We've been talking a bit about really more white-collar workers, office workers. But in One Nation, people are, are having very different experiences of this pandemic from the folks who are healthcare workers, grocery store workers, Amazon delivery people, mm-hmm. um, different communities of color, the Native American populations. It's like there are different people throughout the country if they had to write a book or, or a chapter even of what happened for them during this pandemic, it would look so different that someone in the future would not even believe that it was happening at the same time. (laughs) I find that so interesting. And and yet, I mean, that's all true. And we can't forget that that's been true even before the pandemic. Mm, Yes. So a homeless population, what's happened to frontline workers, migrant population, how we've treated immigrants. I mean, in many ways, We've just put the veneer on to not look at it mm-hmm. or not speak about it. What's happening in our prisons? Mm-hmm. Right. So I right. think in many ways what this has done is called attention to it. Yes, yes. In a way, and and that it's almost like we can't avoid or ignore. But we know, you know, black men being killed and um, the, the impacts economically on different populations has always been health care you know, disparities, has always been there. Mm-hmm. But it's been easy to just ignore it. And I think to your point, what the pandemic has done is it's raised it in a way that it's harder because people are dying. Yes. Yeah. Do I mean, you... 70, 80,000 deaths is a, is a huge number, and we're not yeah. done. I we're know. still at the beginning of this. Yes. It is so frightening. Have you done any work with companies primarily to support their say, manufacturing teams, people who are working on a line, people like the meat packing industry. Have you had experience with those types of companies and how they're helping to support those folks? So in this 
client that we are we're working in, which is a manufacturing, they have a number of plants all over the United States, they have taken a lot of precautions to make sure that people are safe. You know, they're doing temperature checks. They're doing, making sure that there's some um, uh, plastic, whatever you call that, <laughs> barriers between people. Um, so they've tried to adjust the line to the extent that they can. And if people are sick, obviously they have benefits so that they can go home and not uh, infect other people. And they're trying to do contract tracing. But you know, it's very hard to restructure a whole manufacturing line. But yes, they're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they take very seriously the health of their workers. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're not every organization. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've, I mean, and the fact that they've continued to work with us is probably a statement of who they are. Yes. As opposed to just saying, as other organizations have done, is we can't deal with anything else but the pandemic. We can't do our culture change work. So, you know, they're already in a rarefied space, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And they've got great leadership who really see how this is so important. And their communication has been, you know, I'd say outstanding in terms of really engaging people about where they are and what the challenges are. And listening. I think the biggest thing is also listening. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, it's got to be a two-way process. And we know that part of what's important around our diversity work is people being listened to. Mm-hmm. and acted upon. As we do slowly return to workspaces, we have to reframe ourselves what what all that looks like because it's never going to look like what we walked away from at the beginning of March, end of February, beginning of March. You know, it it will be forever changed. And there is a loss, a sense of loss attached to that. And I would have to think that people are are coping, really, and, and need to almost mourn a past way of being. Have you seen that effect happening, or have you been having those kinds of conversations about how to how to mourn the loss of a, of an old way of being? So I, I think in some ways we're still early in that. You know, I, I think in this phase of kind of just beginning to go back and so many places still haven't right i think that the loss is there i think it's almost like ptsd Mm -hmm. you know post-traumatic stress i do think we're going to see responses to this over time i mean i keep on hearing from people about i just want to sit in a group and see my friends i want to hug somebody you know um so i think it's there i think it's still under the surface and I think in many ways people are just, if they have a job, they're happy to have one. I mean, the loss isn't just the people coming back to work. It's how many people are out of work right now mm-hmm. and the fearfulness about what's employment going to look like. So I think as a society, it's underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. I don't think yet it's been giving voice to at, at, at this point, but I do think it's critical to find a space for people to talk about it. And and I think, you know, many people are still holding on to, oh, it's just going to go back to the way it was. I think it's only when the stark reality hits us that it will feel and be much more present. So, you know, we're, what, in month two of this, two and a half? Yes. I think six months from now we'll feel it much more as people... It's the relentlessness of social distancing and wearing a mask and how do you shop and, 
What does the store look like? And whether or not we have another wave. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people kind of have gone, when we have the other wave, I would say, when, you know, people have gone through this, and it's almost like you can hold your breath. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll get through this. It's when there's a second or a third wave that I think becomes even more exhausting. You know, it's like, okay, it's like I was I was actually talking to um, my business partner today, and it's like, I can't believe it's May 15th. You know, the last time I had a haircut was February 20th. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, if it's July 15th and I haven't had a haircut, how will I feel? If it's, you know, so it's all those day-to-day things that we've kind of put on hold Mm -hmm. that I think is also part of the loss. And if it's July 15th and I haven't had a haircut and I can go get one, but my hair person is no longer in business and I can't find anybody. Correct. Yeah. Right. And all the loss of that, right? Mm-hmm. All those people I engaged with, all those those companies or those businesses or those folks I used to have a relationship with may or may not be there, to your point. That's what a loss in our neighborhoods, in our communities, besides just the work side. I think you're absolutely right. It's huge. I like how you said that uh, people are have been holding their breath, and I feel like even... Now, I live in Rochester, New York, and we are famous for a, a number of things, you know, home to Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony mm-hmm. and the lilacs. And I was driving through the park that has a, normally has a huge lilac festival around this time of year, and the lilacs aren't even in bloom. I feel like the lilacs are holding their breath, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, granted, it snowed on Mother's Day. That's the kind of place I live. Yeah, but... <laughs> right. Uh, but, but I think it speaks to, you know, those things that are around us or those things. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I live in D.C., and my, there's a market that is um, like a farmer's market, but it's indoors, mm-hmm. and it's all year round. And um, I was worried that that was going to close. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's open and, you know, with restrictions and obviously social distancing. But I can't tell you the re- the huge weight off of me because I see people I know, you know. Mm-hmm. I go in and I know the poultry guy and I know the mm-hmm. the, the produce person, et yes. cetera. And I went once to Safeway. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was the most stressful experience. Yeah. But there was something calming and comforting mm-hmm. about that's a place I go to all the time. And those are people I know. And... They're still in business. I mean, yes. all of that. Yes. What happens when those things go away for people, which is huge? There know? is a tremendous amount of rebuilding that has to be done. I, um, I, you sent me your paper that you and Fred wrote, I think, together, Tips for mm-hmm. Working Remotely. Thank you for sharing it with me. It's, it's an excellent work and a really good guide. Is it possible for people to access this? Absolutely. It's on our website, which is kjcg.com, mm-hmm. and it talks about tips for working remotely and through the pandemic. Wonderful. Yeah. I'll also post that for folks listening in uh, on my Generator website. I'll put a link to your website so people can get a hold of that tips for working remotely. I just think that we really are, uh, to, to try and end on a positive note, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not going to try, I am going to end on a positive note with you, Judith. There is so much opportunity for growth and to evolve in a new direction with regard to creating 
safe spaces, both, like you said, physically safe, psychologically safe, approaching inclusion with a, a broader mind and stroke. And so I'm, I'm excited about the potential of creating a different way of working and thinking as we move into this unknown or unprecedented time. Would you agree that there's an opportunity there? Absolutely. You know, it, it's interesting, as you said that, because I was thinking about two things. One, one is never waste a crisis. Yes. So we right. have such an opportunity. And I was listening to, there's a channel by John Kaczynski called Some Good News. Oh, I saw the, yeah. Yes, Did you see the graduation? Great. Yes, yes. Um, and, and one of the things that um, I was thinking about Steven Spielberg, because they were having messages to graduates from Spielberg, from Oprah, from different people, uh, Malaya. Yeah. Um, and it was great. And one of the things that, that they all talked about was we're in such a moment of potential of innovation. And, you know, many of these trends, uh, there were many trends that were going on before the pandemic, you know, technology changing, robotics coming, AI, um, the changing demographics, all those things here, they've just been accelerated. Mm-hmm. And I think we have such an opportunity for transformation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about the Black Plague and you think about the bubonic plague, sorry, and if you think about, you know, other, there have been other plagues in our histories. And on the other side of that, we had a renaissance. Yes. So I do think historically we've seen that on this other side, it's not more doom and gloom, but the potential for more growth, more creativity, all of those things. You know, theater may be looking very different and interactions, et cetera. But I think to your point is we have such an opportunity um, for that innovation and for transforming our organizations. And I think that's the place that we should be putting our energy mm-hmm. um, and looking at, you know, this moment with, with this incredible unfreezing, how do we really seize that opportunity to create the workplace we want? So even in organizations where they're downsizing, we say, we do it thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. It's not just first in, first out. It's like, what's the talent pool you need for your future? Be thoughtful about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really where our opportunity lies. Thoughtful and intentional. It's very exciting when I think of it from that perspective. Judith, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed spending time with you today. And I so appreciated the opportunity. And, you know, I think, I think we also have to help people think about what's possible because it is easy to get into just the negative side. And I think when we put our energies together to create and co-create that possibility is where things will flourish. It doesn't negate though it's hard and challenging, but I do believe in the human spirit and our potential of overcoming that. Judith, thank you so much. You have been listening to Genderator. To comment or ask questions, please visit my website at www.genderator.com. That's Genderator with a J. Thank you for joining me. Be well and take good care.